Because you have these guys who've come into the game and the game itself or the business of football is not their bread and butter. They are not looking at these teams that they've bought into as this is what needs to take my my wealth to the next level. These guys instead are just throwing money at these teams and what do you need? You need you need players, here's money. You need better facilities, here's money. Are we supposed to grow the stadium? Here's money. Are we supposed to appeal to the fan base? Here's money for a marketing campaign. And with legacy teams, you find that they've stood pat uh whereby we've always done things a certain way and they've always worked which is how we built up the legacy and we are going to continue trusting the process that has served us well in the past from the lucha podcast network this is the mass startup podcast the mass startup podcast profiles the most talented creators impactful entrepreneurs and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights learnings and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in You guys ready? Sure. Let's do a brief intro. Um who are you guys and what do you do? We are to a friend podcast, the greatest podcast this side of the hemisphere. I am Jay, this is Chuck, we are boys, and not only that, but as I said, we are the best at what we do. And what we do is talk about sports, um, give you inside view in terms of the stories, what we think about them, stuff that you haven't quite picked up, and also we also go into casual banter as well. Yeah. Which I always win. <laughs> I guess. I guess. You know, like I feel like sports is one of the most underrated categories of content. Um even though the entire thing is actually around content, right? Like yes, you've got the anchor thing which is the the actual events that happen, right? Whether the sporting events themselves and then all the content that comes out of it as well. How have you guys found that sort of industry or category of like creating sporting content for South Africa or across the continent? Um it's been interesting um because our initial idea was let's make something that is very unique to us which is our corner corner conversation which is what we did or still do every other day. Um whenever we've met and we depart there's always a conversation about sport or what's happening in the world of sport. I just wanted to bring that onto a podcast. Um how we found that is that I don't think we've had to try too hard in terms of distinguishing ourselves. Um but in terms of what exactly what exactly is rich and good for the audience that we've had to learn about and actually produce that. I think for me I would say it's a thought experiment put into practice because the thought experiment was I've always considered that sport is a it's fertile ground for stories and mm. what content is is telling stories or it's giving that narration and this is how people for from the beginning of time have understood our the world around us we've understood our trajectory we've understood what is happening and what is to come 
is to tell stories. And if you pay attention to sports just beyond the results, there are storylines. There are mm. good guys. There are bad guys. There are underdogs that you root for. When they become a dynasty, then you can't wait to see them fall. And it's the classic human uh, behavior of building them up just to tear them down. And then you've got tribes. And that is as human as human comes. We are tribalistic. We pick our colors and we plant our flags in the ground and this draws a line in the sand. This is where we are. This is where you are. And we are coming at you. Come at us as well. Yeah. How have you sort of felt you've had to challenge the audience that you guys are building, right? Like, Because I, I do think that good content should challenge people in very meaningful ways. Um, how have you guys tried to do that? Because, you know, as much as I'm a big fan of the podcast, um, what do other people sort of pick up? They go, oh, wait, you know, no one else was really talking about this. Um, and it really came up here. It's just the nuances. Um, the, the feedback I've gotten, we, we get a lot, is, oh, I didn't know that. And when someone says that to me, my response to them is that that is by design. I, we kind of knew that you didn't know because there was a point where we didn't. But we have gone to seek that out because as much as, yeah, we are friends and we have migrated a conversation we'd have like on street corners onto the mics, there is an element of it does need to be a little more refined than that. And mm. we need to tell you something that not everyone else is talking about, things that you might overlook, you know, like the finances of football, for example. You may just know it's like, these people have taken over the club and they've got deep pockets, but then there's financial fair play. How does it work? It's like, well, actually, there is provision for you being able to spend 600 million pounds in one go, but you probably won't do it. And this is the breakdown that we're going to give you. It's like, okay, now I get it. And that's, that's what we are trying to give to the audience. It's like, yeah, the conversations you have, but also the things that you may not know lead to the conversation that you're having. I think to add to that also, I think, what stands out for me is that we ch we do challenge the casual listener who is somewhat also then a casual sports fan that I wasn't really interested in how much Mbappe went for. I don't even know where, where Mbappe is playing and who the hell is Mbappe. But, but once they listen to the podcast, I, I had a lady say to me that when I come in, when I, when I bump into the news stories or I hear the headlines that such and such is happening, I'm like, oh, I heard that in the podcast. And so it's just to them that there could be an interest in sport that you can develop. There could be something more meaningful or more catered to your interest than what you thought sport was initially. So it's just bringing it down to a very basic level, a casual level where everyone can partake in it. And then I think that is a challenge. Um, we want as many people tuning into sports because of what Jay just listed, that you can take up flags, you can take up uh, a tribe, you can participate in your, own, in, your own, in your own way. Yeah, it's that whole, but what do two up front have to say about this? And that's what we're trying, trying to get that, okay, I've heard all these other sources. What do these guys have to say? Mm. And in some cases, then what we have to say becomes gospel for some people. Yeah. So let's get into some of the sort of business of sport um, yeah. sort of stuff, right? Like I've got a list here of the most valuable soccer teams in the world. Football teams. Um, I hate the word soccer. I don't know why, but like... Because it's America. <laughs> so... Here's the list, right? I'm just going to give you the top five. Uh, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Manchester City. What sort of informs what makes a team valuable now when you consider, say, Manchester United being one of the worst football teams, technically? The worst on that list, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had to say. <laughs> on the top five, is definitely like the worst. I mean, the next... 
five are not that great either. It's Arsenal, <laughs> Barcelona, Liverpool, Tottenham. There's two other teams that are imposters on this list. <laughs> I'm not going to say which ones. <laughs> not from London. <clears throat> What do you think informs like the value of a team when 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 you re- when you compare it to its actual form or like how the club is run itself? It is or we're talking about it's the village. Mm. It, you look at Manchester United and what you point out that they're not very good on the pitch. So what's up with that? That's because they're a legacy team. At this point they have drank the Kool-Aid of Manchester United. They were 26 last 20 being glorious years under Sir Alex and that coincided with the boom of the Premier League which also then is the pumping of TV money and TV money also then attracts sponsorship money and catering to the audience which is why as well you'll find a Spurs or an Arsenal because that English element has the passion has the villages those tribes who are very much rah-rah, we are invested in this team regardless of what happens. I think to add to that, I believe it's on certain fronts a perception that you create. We've got the best players, we've got the most modern stadiums, we've got this and this and this. And so that that, that feeds in the commercial aspect because if you think about how big and how dominant a force the EPL is, it was a given that a few of those clubs would be in that top in that top ten or that list. Because when you think about the billion dollar deal, billion pound deals that they are signing, of course Sky is going to push the narrative of United one of the big, biggest clubs in the world. Of course they're going to say Arsenal are better than product. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so at this point in time, the EPL is probably the best product to sell out there for anyone. And so if you buy into that idea, because already players would go from Villarreal and go to an Arsenal and a Tottenham and consider it a step up, regardless of current form. Mm. And that is because of the perception that's created of what these teams actually are. I mean, if you think about, never mind what um, Liverpool and City have done most recently, most recently in Europe, what have English teams done? Not much. And that's when you find the graph of the Bayern Munich and their legacy and their um, exploits in Europe that they again hang around with the big boys. Um, but I think it's, it's a lot of it is perception and an idea that people feed into. And then from uh, off the back of that, then you, you, start, you sign your star players, you increase your, 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 your crowd reach, social media and all that stuff. Then yeah. you have other teams who are buying their status, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even when you mention Bayern, Bayern are unique in that they are a legacy team. But if you look at Bayern's sponsorships, they are sponsored by Adidas, who are also an owner of the club, part owner. Audi, also part owner of the club. And then we know about the clubs who have um, investors that have come from the Middle East, you know. Mm. And everything that has to do with that in terms of the, the perception washing that is happening in football. And when you say that, like a team like Newcastle was a re- relatively big uh, club in, in, in England. Money aside, that's, that's that, that, that the, the shakes bring, just because they've been bought over, all, all of a sudden their profile goes up. We want to see mm. what Newcastle is going to do next. And all of a sudden they're in the conversation. No one was speaking about them, but now it's talking about them. And should something happen in January, and if should something happen in the next window, all of a sudden uh, Newcastle is on our lips, their value goes up. And you think about just how, like, um, differently these different leagues also operate, right? Like, I was watching something where they were sort of showing just how TV rights revenue was distributed in the Premier League versus, uh, say, uh, La Liga, right? So, with the Premier League, they actually take in all the money and then they share it, not equally, but very, very equitably across all the teams versus La Liga, where it's like, no... We're going to pay this guy differently, this guy differently, this guy differently. Obviously being, you know, 
Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, which basically just, you know, makes the league so much less competitive. And like, how important does money come in, whether for a league or a team, in becoming successful? Is there someone that's money-balled this whole game? Money is very important. Um, that's 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 why you see someone like oh, I think it's Hunes from Bayern, if I'm mistaken. He's always talking about how PSG came up, how Man City came up because they they bought their way up there, you know. Mm. And so money is a game changer. When you look at the status of, or, or rather, what English English clubs are able to do compared to their counterparts elsewhere in Europe. When you look at when Corona hit, that they're still re- basically running as usual, and not 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 anyone not anyone else in Europe. So money is a big is a big game. But I mean. Arsenal were firing their mascot. Masoud <laughs> Elzil had to pay from to his keep own pockets. <laughs> but that 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 was that was crazy because then they go and they spend record money in, in the window, and it's like, did you guys really not have money? So that's, that's <laughs> they're not very upfront and honest about it. Yeah, I mean, you what you point out, you turn to Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, you had Florentino Perez, who was at the head for the push for the Super League, right? Which was just about money. And what he gave as a reason for the Super League is that clubs in Europe, the big clubs, are losing money and there's not enough money in the clubs to sustain them. And then you find that the Super League has been doused all the water and now they're still in La Liga and still have to compete in the Champions League. And yet now they are bidding 200 million from Mbappe. Their financials came out just recently in a, in a, in a, in a time period of the pandemic has affected all the clubs, Real Madrid actually managed to make a profit of 2 million mm. euros in, in that time. And you're like, well, are you broke? That does not suggest to me that you are broke. It's like, well, we are not actually broke. We just wanted more money. And the idea behind that is because the deeper your pockets, the more competitive you become. You yeah. can buy competition. You can mm-hmm. buy being good. Not so, only as a club, but also as a league. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you look at this sort of impact of money on sports in this way, do you feel like it's the same reason why maybe domestically South Africa's league isn't necessarily the best? Um, do we need more money to come into the league to make it like, you know, something so much more? I think um, I go to a quote by Ralph uh, Ragnick, and he says the three C's are concept, um, cash is one of them and there's competency mm. yeah concept competency and cash and he says you need these three pillars to build a club an idea clear from the director of football the, or, the, or the manager in terms of here's what we're going to do here's how we play this is our identity body. yeah and then we've got uh, competency who are the people who are actually there doing the job and I think that's where the biggest problem is with, with South Africa's competency in terms of our, when, you, when you look at our development, it's patchy if you look at how certain players got to the big leagues. Mm. I used to play at such and such and now I'm here and all of a sudden such and such connected me. There's no clear route via the academy. Mm. Um, so technically, um, we're poor in that regard. Cash, they're earning decent amount of money already. And that's for not South swayed Africa, them. Yeah, I mean, for South yeah, Africa. Yeah. For, for Africa as well. So I, um, it's even a big draw for other people uh, further up in the, in, the, in the continent. So I think cash can always help, but to a limited extent. I think for us, the biggest issue is competency. We need actual competency in terms of managers, everyone in development, and we need an actual structure to nurture the talent. I mean, with the Springboks, you can track where such and such Leroux came from mm. and the schools that they've gone through. And so when he's a world champion, it's because they came from the best schools, went to the best team, and then therefore are in the best Springbok squad. With Bafana, 
totally different. Yeah, the structure is broken. Um, you need to fix the structure. But the money is very important because if you look in South African context, the most successful team going right now is Mamelodi Sundowns. They're backed by a billionaire. Mm. And it's not only the men's team, just recently, the women's team, Sundowns women's team, became the first ever African champions in the Champions League for women. Mm. And this is consistent with the fact that the Mutsipe family keep pumping money into Sundowns. I'm actually curious because in South Africa, financials for clubs are not released. It's very curious that Sundowns are able to consistently be the highest payers for players. And yet you cannot tell me that they generate by themselves as a brand more money than Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates. Mm. But then in those other instances, there's the question of, do you actually not have any money? Or do you have money? You just choose not to spend it. What is the reason Kaiser Chiefs don't have a women's team at all? Mm. But overall in South Africa, it is money, yes. But it is the structure because there is some money if it is to be believed that how we secured the 2010 World Cup is because there was an exchange <laughs> of brown paper bags. Wouldn't put it past it. Seems, it just seems like football is a is a is a oh, is a cesspool for all of that. Like really just money just exchanging yeah. in brown There's envelopes a here and money. there, here and there, here and there. You know, um just to sort of off ramp off of this, right? Just it seems like the last few years has been really bad for legacy teams. You know, teams that were historically very dominant, right? Like domestically, Kaiser Chiefs or London Pirates are deeply underperforming, right? True. You know, that's yeah. just clear, right? Um, Manu, the decline of Manu is just well documented and like <laughs> by everyone, everywhere, all the time. <laughs> what do you think has really disrupted the order of things? Um, where Say and Arsenal used to be, you know, very competitive, used to be very high up the log or like really, you know, able to spend enough to attract the best talent, all these things. What do you think has happened over the last 10, 20 years that's really shifted that sort of power dynamic? It's the influx of sugar daddies. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. Because is that the official term? <laughs> yeah, the, that's, yeah. That's that's who knocked them. The, the benefactors, because you have these guys who've come into the game, and the game itself or the business of football is not their bread and butter. They are not looking at these teams that they've bought into as this is what needs to take my my wealth to the next level. These guys instead are just throwing money at these teams and. What do you need? You need a f you need players. Here's money. You need better facilities. Here's money. Are we supposed to grow the stadium? Here's money. Are we supposed to appeal to the fan base? Here's money for a marketing campaign. And with legacy teams, you find that they've stood pat, uh, whereby we've always done things a certain way and they've always worked, which is how we built up the legacy. And we are going to continue trusting the process that has served us well in the past only to find that there are some guys who are just driving past you in, in Ferraris and Lambos. And yeah, you got a you got a nice salon there and it's served you well. But in terms of we're on a track now and it's a totally different game as a result. That's mm. that's why those traditional powers have been left behind. Yeah, I think I, I fully agree with that. I mean sort of like the Nokia game that when Google was coming up, you're like, nah I see them, but they won't hurt us. When Samsung is coming up, like, oh, I, see, I see them, but they won't hurt us. Let's implement our plan. I believe um, with, with, with the idea, I, I still believe it's somewhere in, in, in United and Arsenal's idea in, in their minds that 
we need a long long term manager to serve us well, like Austin did, like Ferguson did. Whereas no one's doing that anymore. It's like if you're not successful, you're out the window. And so everyone has been looking for the best coaches and they get them quite quickly. I mean, besides Simeone and Pep, there aren't too many managers that stuck around at clubs for too long. And that's because they've been successful where they are. So I think, as Jay said, it's because they, they thought they still had their finger on the pulse, uh, but only to find that they've been left behind. Yeah, and you think about just how teams that have that sort of legacy thinking, so be, beyond just having a legacy mm. as organizations, teams that have legacy thinking where they think, oh no, we've always done things this way and this is how football is played, those teams get left behind a, f- a lot more than teams that are going, oh wait, there's different ways to do things now. Like you can adapt to the reality that exists now where football isn't necessarily what it used to be and it can be so much more. When you think about innovation in sport right now, what teams do you think are really, really ahead of the times in this way? Oh, it's PSGA. Mm. It's PSG. When you when you look at the partnerships between PSG and, and the Jordan brand, never in a million years did I foresee the Jordan brand crossing over into football. But this is this is what PSG are. They don't have they don't have the the burden of history. What they have before them is an opportunity. And where yes, they've been bought by a whole entire nation. And again, to 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 clean the image of what that looks like you have them innovating in sport going in directions that other teams would not dare to do for the fear that it might be gimmicky but they're not afraid of of this is a threshold we are going to go beyond that so i would i would i would say that the leaders of the new school in that regard are psg and i think maybe to a less on a lesser extent and not too far behind i'd want to add leicester in there because less leicester have, have proved that you can buy cheap and actually have a good product if you scout very well. And I think they're looking in places that the big teams are not looking at. And I think how, how Leicester is run, I mean, when you look at how they, how they use the Maguire money into building a, a new complex, a new training ground, that's not, no one's doing well, that. I really. mean, let's be honest, right? Like, that was the most ridiculous amount of money for what? For sure. We got 80 I guess we're not going to talk about the fact that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's spend it wisely. Listen, <laughs> Smeg could never make a fridge. <laughs> that good. Yeah, expensive. What a fridge. What an, ex- what an exception. Doesn't really fridge. work because, even, but. Because no, the, fridge is, the fridge doesn't even work. The fridge is called this in San Marino. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Get some cops to come. Um, but yeah, I think teams like that, like like Leicester, um, in terms of how they re- reinvested in their squad, because you lose your marriage, you lose um, your, your, your country, your star players, but you still keep up. And I mm. think that's the thing that everyone is struggling to do in terms of we lose our assets, how do we stay in the game still? Because fine, they're not at their best now, but they're in with a shout. They're only a couple of performances away from being right where, right where they were. So I think they're also in the, in the mix. Yeah. What do you think of just... Um you know, this season for me has been really interesting. I'm so sorry we're only speaking about football right now, but I'm hoping that in the next five minutes we can pivot to like... Is is there other sport? Yeah, there, there has to be something. <laughs> but like yeah. when you think of something like, um, is it West Ham that's flying high right now? Mm. That's a way too high. I'm very shocked by this. <laughs> when you think about teams like that, that possibly outperform what, everyone else's expectations for them are. What do you think they're actually getting right? You, you mentioned Leicester as well. Like who you thought 
oh man, they did this miracle. They'll probably just like completely, you know, capitulate to being like one of the worst teams in the league. But no, they've really like been able to still, you know, they're there, man. They're still present. When you think of teams like that in a league that has as much... My watch just answered my question. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Or oh, Siri. Or one, Siri. Of those, one of those ladies. <laughs> so when you think of teams that are outperforming what the potential most people might have for them, what do you think they're getting right versus everyone else? Like a West Ham, like a Leicester a few seasons ago, but they're still present now as well. I think, one, they're real about who they are and where they are. Um, there's no living off legacy or we've got this player therefore we should do this no no this is where we are this is where we're supposed to do. I mean even even uh, West Ham they're not, not going to say to you we should be winning the league that's that's too far let's get into top four that's uh, that's they're setting obtainable goals number one number two there is no added pressure I think with them they can have a two or three year project that will slowly increase and I think if if, if, if big teams were to say hold on uh, United, you're not going to win the Champions League. It's fine. You're not going to win the league. It's fine. Let's build towards it, which is what I think Arteta's trying to do with varying degrees of success. But let's build on and, and, and have a th- few, if we could say, throwaway seasons with the idea that we're going to win long term. So I think the short term goals are killing a lot of big teams that we want to do it now because it's been four years, no trophy. Let's win it now. It's been five years, panic stations. And so we press buttons. We do all these things. We jump in, in, in hoops and we do all these things. And in the end, you're still in the same spot. And that's how United have found themselves where they are. Um, Spurs never won, I think, but Spurs are not going up because they got that high from Poch, and now but they're they thinking. Are also, just Tottenham Hotspur, though. I know. So <laughs> I think I think they, they are on that high. Yeah, Poch would do well. Actually, let's build a new stadium. Let's compete with the big boys. Like, let's be real. Who are you, and what can you do? And I think that is a big part of it. It's also innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at West Ham and David Moyes, so David Moyes was ridiculed for implementing football manager. He uses the scouting system of football manager, the game, to actually scout players. And where he was ridiculous, like, why would you use a game? What his response, didn't directly say this, but the reason for that is because football manager have a scouting department of 600 guys. There is no football club in the world that has anywhere near that. And if you can tap into these guys who are scouting actual players for developing a game, these are actual scouts. This is not a gimmick then you have at, 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 at your beck and call a network of people not available to the club which you work for. A whole lot of other coaches and other teams have now adopted that strategy. So it is innovation. You look at Brentford, for example. Brentford did away with scouting players traditionally. And they went with underlying stats. So the owner found guys who... Previously, you would have thought of these are nerds. They don't belong anywhere in football. But these are these guys are good with numbers. They crunched numbers, looked at expected goals, looked at expected assists, and they're like, we are going to go with this player because even though the actual results don't suggest that we should buy them, what the underlying stats say is that this is who he actually is. And they have made smart buys and made smart sells to the tune of a Watkins who sold for almost $30 million to a Aston Villa. And a Ben Rama, same thing to West Ham. So there are guys who are truly innovating in the sport, doing things that we'd never seen before. And they're succeeding at that as a result. It starts off looking like, okay, this is quirky. But then you follow it to the end, you find a West Ham who's in the Champions League. Moneyball? Not yet. With Brad Pitt, is it? Not yet. That you is the idea. That. that is exactly Brent, the Brentford same idea. Brentford are, exactly are playing Moneyball. Yeah. Brentford are 
purely playing Manipur. When you think about, you know, everyone talks about the value of a player when he's bought, whatever, right? And then you sort of just never hear about how successful or unsuccessful that transfer actually is. Who has provided the best value for money in the last, let's say, a year as a transfer? In the last year? Yes, the most impactful and valuable transfer in the last year. Maybe, let's say, three years to make it easier. Ah, it's easily Haaland, uh, in my in my opinion, because he was signed from Leipzig and he was playing in the Austrian league, which is fairly easy compared to the best leagues in Europe. And he was dominating that league as a teenager, but he was also dominating in Europe. So there was enough evidence to suggest that it's going to translate at a higher level. And I suppose the big boys wanted to see him take a first step into the upper echelons of the game before they go in for him. And what they found is that they've missed out on signing a guy for about 20, 25, 30 million. And now when he goes on the market again, he, you are looking at paying 100 million. So you bring him in at that price point, you are, you're not even developing him because he's already hitting the ground running. You've got the leading goal scorer for the next 10 years. So value for money, it's him. Because when you look at value for money in terms of transfers, you're also thinking about sell on value mm-hmm. um, because you may come to a point where you need to move on you m- need to move the player on and you want to get more than what you bought him for I'm thinking the only thing I can bring bring you is Luis Suarez in the last year on a free to Atletico and to win the league that was the only player that was missing and I think if you can make more of those decisions where you get players for free I mean Barcelona got uh, Depay for free they got uh, Aguero for free sadly Aguero is injured and I don't know if he's going to continue but such players, and I think that's the kind of business you're looking to, to make. So um, with, with, with Depay, we're still waiting and see what it can you actually bring to the club. So far, so good, and you can't have any complaints. But to answer your question, I bring Suarez. It could also be Messi. If he does fire PSG and you got him for free, yeah, that could be. We haven't seen it as yet. That's not, that's not working. Yeah. No, it isn't. That's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Who says case the worst? Maguire's too easy. Okay, Maguire's too easy. <laughs> Maguire's too on the nose. You need to. I need you to. Guys, you guys get creative. Like who? <laughs> um, in terms of the worst, I would. I'm gonna go with Pepe. I I'm gonna go with Arsenal, and I'm gonna go with Pepe. No, actually, scratch that. There's a Coutinho. There's a Barcelona. There's Barcelona a have a, a list of and guys. It is Coutinho. Like I would. Dembele is in there, but Dembele has been injured. Coutinho has just been horrendous. They've not been able to fit him in. And then they transferred him on loan to Bayern Munich and he scored two goals against Barcelona in the Champions League quarterfinal where they beat them 8-0. Then he comes back home and does nothing still for them. And they paid, what, top four money all time for Coutinho. Yeah, it has to be those two because, I mean, never mind... I'm seeing my peripheral picture of Timo Werner, who is on the, on the verge of being in, in that category. No but ways. I still believe there's, there's still a lot of football in him. There's and Timo is like half the price of Pepe. And Timo Werner gives you Pretty that much. hope oh, whenever he gives you those. <laughs> but I, I want to I wanna wager Dembele, man, because he was he was a risk to begin with. So wait, he had the are injury you saying record. both of the worst oh, transfers? Oh, easy. Uh, no. That's why they don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> because of such outlays and no um, return on them. But Dembele was a risk to begin with. And then with that, with that number of times he gets injured in a season, like Dembele goes out for like three months, comes back, same game, he's out again. 
I mean, you look at that and you're like, yeah, no, my money's down the drain. Well, at least with the Coutinho, he's fit. Coutinho, at least take a penalty, do something. Like, take a throw in, but with Dembele, and it actually is, this sounds very obvious, but I'll explain what I mean. It's actually Barcelona's fault that they are in the situation they're in with Dembele and Coutinho. And by that, I mean, Barcelona put a, a, a release clause on, on Neymar of 200 million. And they did PSG to pay that money. Did not think they will. PSG came to the table and they paid that money. Ruined the entire economics of the transfer market. And they were left in a situation whereby, oh snap, we've lost Neymar. Now we need to go get, go into the market and get his replacements. And they had all this money and they just, let's go get that guy for 100 million plus. Let's go get that guy for 100 million and plus. And obviously teams are like, if Neymar costs that much, then Coutinho must cost like, this sure, much. And because you guys are the much. ones who slapped that price tag on him and took that money. So we know you've got that money. <laughs> you want to come get our player. This is what you need to pay. And those fools over at Barcelona pay that money. You wonder why right now they find themselves in a situation where they broke? That's why. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the um, the Arsenal project now? What project? I mean, the Arteta <laughs> Trust the Process project. <laughs> in terms of the Arsenal pro- So what's very clear at Arsenal is Arsenal are behaving like Ajax now in terms mm. of we are just going young. They've got the young squad in the EPL. And they are, to be fair on points at least tied for fourth place right now what Arteta is in my opinion he is the guy who's setting up the guy who's going to win with the squad Arteta's not the guy who's going to win with the squad his Mm. job was to clear out the dead wood which he did unfortunately Arsenal didn't get any transfer fees for most of those players but they were a rot in the dressing room and they needed to go and they are gone now and he's promoted some players from the academy and there's also some players being brought in also fitting the profile, young, can develop together. And where Arsenal are right now is, okay, um, you've got now the players. Now what you're going to need to take that next step is a coach. That's not Arteta. And that project is going to be highly dependent on who do you bring in to actually mold now these guys into championship caliber players. Yeah. And what do you think about the Man U project, which is... Honestly, how many coaches have you had? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> right now, at this at this point in time, six coaches by now. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, it's, wait. It's Moise. Moise. There's Van Gaal. Gigs in there there's as, a, as a caretaker. There's Gigs. There's Oli. Then there's Gigs and there's Carrick. Six. Right. Six. Yeah. Now you're on seven. Yeah. And then he's only there for six months. So there's someone who's gonna come in after him. The current project. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you um, think this project is failing so hard? And like, is there an overall strategy that informs anything that's happening at this point? Um, it didn't seem like there was initially um, until Up they got someone point, like. There wasn't, was there? No, <laughs> it'd be hard to justify that there was. Um, because when you go and you get Oli, never mind what he does once he's in the job. When you're looking for Oli, what are you looking for? Someone there in Molde in. Where is that? Norway. Norway. And you're like, that's the guy we want. Red flags <laughs> As already. As Manchester United. Red flags already. You've got all, like a host of talented managers as options and you go for him. And he does what he does and you're like, hey, thank you for winning us the game in the Champions League. Here's a contract. Just off of that, that just shows that there was no planning. Um, and then the, the results happen as they are. And it just says to you that United don't have their eye on the ball and 
literally in terms of what's happening on the pitch. They are more happy with being a commercial brand because over the years they've never slipped up as as a financial entity. They're always in the top five of um, in terms of re- uh, revenue, in terms of sponsorships, and their shares they're no, no, solid. No, there, the business is there's, no fi- yeah. there's no financial backlash. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm saying is that we know where their eye is, and it's not on the game. So, for instance, with them doing what they've done now with Ragnik, I think that's a major turn. That's a major turn because we've seen his resume and what he's done at, at Salzburg, what he's done at Leipzig, what he's done at Hoffenheim. I don't know what he's done currently at Locomotive, but we've seen that this guy is credible. This guy can do a job. This guy's got clear ideas. And based on that, like before Ragnik, it was, I mean, I'm on Mike saying that I, I was taking leave from supporting United because <laughs> it would be pointless to be sad at Ole because it's going to happen every other week. What would you be mad at? Because it's a given, you know? Mm. Um, even if we win, it's, it's, it's out of luck, it's out of individual brilliance. And so now there's actual order. There's something that I can actually be mad about and disappointed about because there's a plan in place. They, you know, if something is broken, that's because it was supposed to hold a particular position. Mm. But if everything is broken, what are you going to be mad about? So with the fact that they bring Ragnik in, for me, this is, there's a clear identity and the place that this uh, United team wants to be. And I think that is promising with Ragnik there. Before then, no. Do you think fans are impatient? Because I think there was a time where fans might have understood, oh, wait, there's a project at play. You trust the process. You hope that there's a moment where the team clicks and things start to happen. But now it's like, Three games, bad results. Oh no, it's time for you to go. Let's try something else. And then over and over and over and over again, it happens like that. Before you go, I just want to quickly say that it's the Sugar Daddies, I agree. Because Sugar Daddies prove that you can have success in the short term. And mm. they bought their way through it. And you're sitting there with United like, well, we've got money to buy this player and that player. Why aren't we winning? And you know what I mean? And teams are scrambling to find funds to win the league and not build a team and not find a manager. So... We were, we were made to think, to think that, that it can be done in the short term. Are we impatient? Yes, as fans, we are impatient because there's certain things that can't be fixed in the short term. Ragnik is only there for six months as an interim. If he does not fix things then, it, we can't be surprised. It was only six months. You know what I mean? But as fans, I think we are impatient. Fans want to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. And there are situations where they are impatient uh, because when you look at Chelsea, for example, Chelsea finished 10th and then they fire the coach the next season, they win the league. This is how they roll. Even if you've won a league for us, it doesn't matter what you did however many years ago. The question of Chelsea is, what have you done for me lately? And they will fire you as well, who's brought them success. Get another guy who, in six months, he goes and wins a Champions League. So if you are at a team of comparable size, like Manchester United, you like, well, if Chelsea could do it, we also want the same thing. You know, thing where fans are impatient is where you clearly see there's a project. Um, and your club needs some time to actually implement that. Like I was saying this about Kaiser Chiefs where when they fired Middendorp, it's because they choked in the PSL. But in actual fact, if you want to look at it from another direction, he took them from ninth place to second. Their whole issue was like, well, we had been first for so long, but yeah, you had come from ninth the previous season. Then they fired him and they haven't recovered. So in those situations, why would you not want a guy who brought you to second place from ninth place just recently? But then in a situation whereby, like, you see what happened at Manchester United, it's like, well, this guy's an old boy, and that's the only reason that you are keeping with him. Look at what other teams are doing, what other clubs are doing. They are getting good management and are flying from struggling back to the top. I think as well, um, to deviate into other sports, I think soccer fans are the ones that are most impatient. (laughs) When you look at other sports, there's a bit more time and a bit more patience. 
when you look at the project that Rusty put together, it took us time and we were building towards the World Cup. We were being it, shellacked at some point. Yeah, we were being smashed. Uh, we, we had a record loss against New Zealand, didn't we, most recently before we were going on to win it. And so there was an idea that we were becoming better and, and certain players were coming into the squad and we were giving them time to build because we can see what they can do in the, at a club level. And so there was potential there. Working our way down all the way to the World Cup, where I think with, 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 with soccer, ugh, I think it's, it's ongoing. There's no... The World Cup is the World Cup, but the Champions League, in the meantime, is the World Cup. It's every season. Yeah, and, and for those teams that haven't won, haven't won the league, the, their league becomes the World Cup, and so we want results every other season. So I feel primarily it's, it's, it's in soccer, but with other sports, people are patient. Because the process is a season long every single year. Hmm. Final question, why should someone listen to you guys' podcast? Well, if you've been listening to this recording and you've not come away with a reason, on, then you're hard of hearing that. <laughs> but honestly, honestly, um, there's a lot. There's a lot of work that goes into our into our podcast. Um, we bounce off each other very well because we are we know each other very well. But beyond that, there's a lot of research um, prior to recording. They, we sit for hours talking about what the episode is going to sound like, and that is because we really do want to offer a product that is unlike anything else that's out there. It's not too manufactured where you have a sense that, well, you could jump into this conversation and like throw throw it down with us, you know, but also where it is nuanced enough for you like, okay, I want to listen to these guys because I might learn something and you might be the person at the water cooler tomorrow at work, like throwing some knowledge that other dudes are like, wait, what? Come on now. That's what we that's what we try to give you a yeah. leg up on the so called competition. I think the whole vibe is that we're not speaking to you but we're sitting on the couch with you and we're having a conversation with you yeah. and you can partake and so we're always in, 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 inviting people to engage with us on social on social media because we're there with the banter we're there with the information we're happy to engage with everyone else and we want to actually build a community and if you would build it with us we'd be greatly appreciated because we all have a common base which is sport and so if you can share because we get random questions from other list, other listeners other uh uh, people on Twitter and we engage with everyone it's not a select few and we engage on whatever topic they bring to us um, there was a topic about Juve and their latest scandal and we're happy to do that because that's what this show is about to come to your level bring sport to you and we hope you enjoy it and it is, it is um, stories also that go yeah. beyond sport I mean we've, we've 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 had recordings about racism in sport most recently we had an episode about homosexuality in, in football mm. and how maybe we might not be as comfortable with conversations, but these are conversations that are happening, you know, mm. and we don't shy away from anything and not because uh, trying to be controversial or clickbait. It's because we want to lead these conversations and also be part of them. And we just want to invite people to, as Chuck says, come along on the couch and chop it up with us. Thank you guys so much for chopping it up with me. Cheers, guys. Sure, thanks, man. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also gain access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.